the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. There are many Christians who don't have direction because they don't want to listen to anybody, they know it all. Make sure that you are humble enough to receive godly advice and make sure the advice is godly because not all advice is good advice. And just because somebody has been through something before and maybe is older than you doesn't mean they're going to give you good advice. So you want to make sure that that good advice does not conflict with Scripture. But make sure you're humble enough to receive it. There are so many people who have strife and problems because they don't listen to anybody. They know it all. You can't tell them a thing. So you see, just as God... As we go back to Genesis 8, just as God had not forgotten Noah, and he did give him direction, so God has not forgotten you. And I want you to understand that and be encouraged by that. He has direction. He has guidance for you. But you have to respond to that guidance. You have to respond to that direction. Noah did. What good is it to get direction from God if you're not going to do anything about it? previous verse-by-verse program, Pastor Steve Kreloff explained to us the direction God gave to Noah through the flood experience. He also applied that to our lives. Today, Steve Kreloff will take that a step farther as he explains not only that Noah obeyed God, but how Noah obeyed God. Have you ever wondered what it was like for Noah as he stepped out of the ark onto dry land? I mean, he'd been floating around for over a year, so I imagine getting his land legs back might not have been instantaneous. Do you suppose he bent down and kissed the ground? (laughs) Well, the Bible simply tells us that Noah... uh, Well, I'll stop right there and wait for Pastor Steve to tell us what Noah did after he stepped onto dry ground. Here's Pastor Steve Kreloff. One of the ways that a man knows he's called to be a pastor is because God puts a desire in his heart. Oftentimes I hear pastors will say, God called me to the ministry. I heard him speak to me and I'm called to the ministry. I've never experienced anything like that. If you say to me, when was your call? I have no idea when my call was. I just had an increasing desire to minister the word in a manner like this and to shepherd a flock. There was a time God seemed to confirm that in my heart, but the call is an inward conviction and desire. That's why I know I ought to be in the ministry. Paul was in Acts chapter 17. Paul was alone in the city of Athens. And it says in verses 16 and 17, watch this, you talk about direction. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was beholding the city full of idols. Paul had a deep conviction, was bothered 
I don't even know exactly what word. Conviction doesn't really spell it out. Paul was bothered in his spirit. There was a desire within him to do something about this. He was bothered. So verse 17 says, so he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and with the God-fearing Gentiles. In other words, God put a conviction and a desire in Paul's heart as he looked around and saw the city filled with idolatry. And that was his direction. Go to the synagogue and evangelize the Jewish people, go to the marketplace and evangelize the Gentile people. The point is, is that God does give direction, not only through his word, but through desire as well. If you desire something and it does not conflict with scripture and you've been spending time in the Lord and these are righteous desires, then go for it. Then go. You don't have to be paralyzed spiritually saying, I don't know what to do. God works through desires. Another way that God directs us is by circumstances. Now, in my opinion, too much has been put upon the thought of circumstances so that people can really go wild with this. This is called providence. It's valid, but I caution you about putting too much on circumstance. For example, to illustrate this, remember Jonah in the Old Testament? God told Jonah specifically, I want you to go east to the city of Nineveh and evangelize them, preach to them. Now, Jonah didn't want to do that. Jonah didn't want to do that at all. So he went west. And you know what? Wasn't it convenient that circumstantially there was a boat waiting for him there to take him as far away from Nineveh as he could get? Now, if Jonah reasoned, well, God directed me through circumstance, then Jonah would have been disobedient, which he was disobedient. I don't know what went through his mind, but there is a danger of a person relying too much on circumstances. You know, like I met this guy or this gal who's not saved, but I believe God wants us together because why would he put that person in my path? Well, see, that's how some people can think because circumstances, well, that violates his word. But let me just say, God will never direct you with circumstances that are contrary to his word. So yes, circumstances play a role and they're important, but be careful about it. Check out the word of God. Make sure that the circumstances are not in violation of any scripture. A third way that God directs us, and this is very important, is through God-given wisdom to make proper decisions often comes through the wise counsel of others. God gives us wisdom. And many times he just gives us wisdom when you ask for wisdom. And then just go with whatever you think is best. But a lot of times wisdom comes through godly counsel. For example, much of Proverbs, you know what Proverbs is? Proverbs is a father giving wise counsel to his son. That's Proverbs. That's godly wisdom. What should this young man do? Well, the father says, stay away from the harlot. Oh, the young man gets wisdom. Don't be lazy. The young man gets wisdom. Work hard. Don't be angry. Have a gentle answer when somebody's mad at you. Don't lie. Don't pursue riches. That's godly wisdom. But listen to this, Proverbs 13.10, great verse. Through presumption comes nothing but strife, but with those who receive counsel is wisdom. Listen to that again. Through presumption comes nothing but strife. On the contrary, but those who receive counsel, there's wisdom. In other words, those who have a know-it-all attitude will have strife. Those who are presumptuous, those who don't take advice will have strife. But those who do take advice and are humble will be wise. There are many Christians who don't have direction because they don't want to listen to anybody. 
They know it all. Make sure that you are humble enough to receive godly advice and make sure the advice is godly because not all advice is good advice. And just because somebody has been through something before and maybe is older than you doesn't mean they're going to give you good advice. So you want to make sure that that good advice does not conflict with Scripture. But make sure you're humble enough to receive it. There are so many people who have strife and problems because they don't listen to anybody. They know it all. You can't tell them a thing. So you see, just as God, as we go back to Genesis 8, just as God had not forgotten Noah, and he did give him directions, so God has not forgotten you. And I want you to understand that and be encouraged by that. He has direction. He has guidance for you. But you have to respond to that guidance. You have to respond to that direction. Noah did. What good is it to get direction from God if you're not going to do anything about it? Noah obeyed God. God told him to leave the ark with his family and animals, and he did. And that's what we read in verses 18 and 19. So Noah went out. The verses before this tell us that God told him to go out, and Noah went out. And his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird and everything that moves on the earth went out by their families from the ark. You see, understand this. The issue is not that you get direction so you'll feel better. Or not that you get direction so you won't be confused. The primary issue is that we want direction so we please God. Paul said, Lord, what would you have me to do? You don't want direction so it's all centered around you. Your motivation should be, I want direction because I want to know what would please God. So God does give direction. God's remembrance of Noah meant, number one, he kept his word and he'll keep it to you. Number two, he gave direction and he gives direction to you. Number three, God's remembrance of Noah also meant that he extended compassion, mercy, grace, kindness, Verse 20, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Now, I think this is an amazing verse in scripture. I think this is an amazing statement because it reveals something of the greatness of Noah's character. What a great man. Upon walking out on dry ground for the first time in over a year, you would expect, I would expect Noah to bend down and kiss the ground. I think that's what I would have done once I got my land legs back. Just bend down, kiss the ground, and I would have expected Noah to do something like that or jump around, run around saying, wow, I'm here, dry ground, what joy, a new earth, wow, this is great. But that's not what Noah did, at least not at first. I don't know what he did after. But it does say Noah built an altar and he worshiped the Lord by sacrificing some animals to him. I think that is incredible. In other words, not only did God remember Noah, the amazing thing is that Noah also remembered God. How often it is that uh, God brings us through a difficult time and we forget him. We forget him like those people Jesus healed of leprosy and only one came back and said, thank you, I'll follow you. Noah wasn't like that. Noah remembered God. And what did he sacrifice? Now, an altar is a place of worship. As we go through Genesis, you'll see that Abraham built an altar too, and others. That was their place of worship. What animals did he sacrifice? Well, probably, remember they came on, at least the clean animals, there were seven of them. Probably the seventh of each clean animal and bird was now used for sacrifice, which meant that it was an incredibly large, generous, liberal offering 
that Noah gave to the Lord. It's wonderful. Remember the goodness of God in delivering he and his family, and in gratitude, he worshipped the Lord by offering the best that he had to the Lord, clean animals. And you know what? That is the heart of worship, folks. A lot of people think that, and too often do we get into this, that worship is style. You know, that worship is the songs you sing or whether you clap or don't clap. That's really not the issue of worship. Worship is giving to God your best. Giving to God your best. If you clap, clap well. If you don't, sit there well. Just give him your best. God wants the best of your time, the best of your talents, the best of your finances, the best of your energy. That's worship. The other stuff is peripheral. As I've had the opportunity to travel in different countries, each country, each church has its own style of worship. Style is secondary. And we get so consumed with style, and you get so consumed, you can't worship the Lord because you're annoyed. You're annoyed that people don't do it your way. There is no one right way to worship. And the issue is not whether you feel good about it. The issue is what does God think about it? And you know what? God was really pleased with Noah's worship. He was really pleased with it. That's the issue. Notice verses 21 and 22, and I'll read it and then explain it. And the Lord smelled the soothing aroma. That's what he needs to do, the smell, the soothing aroma of worship, not the style, doesn't matter. And the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man for the intent, and that should be translated, although the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, I'll never again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, sea time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. God was pleased with Noah's offering. And based on this offering, God determined never again to destroy the earth and its inhabitants by a universal flood. But watch this. God didn't simply say, I'm never going to destroy the earth again like that. But God did say, instead of being destroyed, God would demonstrate his compassion. God would demonstrate his goodness by blessing the earth, not judging it, but blessing the earth with regular and predictable environmental patterns. That was new. That was never like that before. Now, let me explain what's going on here, because I think on the surface, this is not the easiest of two verses to understand. I think we can understand it this way. Put yourself in Noah's place. Upon leaving the ark for dry grounds, you would have been thrilled. You would have been happy, a new world, a new beginning, and you're safe. You're off of the water after 371 days. But you'd have to have wondered. You would have have to have wondered as Noah must have wondered. And that's what I think is going on here. Noah is wondering if there's ever going to be another flood like this again. After all, the flood came because people were sinful. And you know what? People were still sinful. The flood never changed human nature. You and I are still sinful today. The flood never changed it. And Noah had to wonder if, wait a minute, if and when my family and I sin, is there going to be another flood? If we populate the earth again, and in chapter 9 he's told to do that, is God going to send another flood? Are we just going to wait another few years and then this is going to happen again because our human bent in nature has never been changed? That's what verse 21 is talking about. I'll never again curse the ground on account of man, although the intent of man's heart is evil. It's still evil. It never changed. So what if he sinned in the new world? Would God send another flood to destroy them? 
That must have been going on in his mind. So he sacrifices, I think, for two reasons. Number one, the sacrifice is a sacrifice of gratitude, saying, God, thank you. Thank you for bringing us safely through this. But I also think that the sacrifice was a sin offering on behalf of all of those who would live in this new world, sort of a post-flood world. It's a sin offering. And that's why God responds the way he responds. That's why he smelled this offering. That's just an expression to say God was pleased with it. God doesn't really have nostrils to smell. It's just saying God was pleased with it. God smells it. He's pleased with it. And he makes a promise based on this sin offering that even though humanity is still wicked from the time every person is born, from the time they step out of their mother's womb, they are wicked God will not destroy the earth like that again, but he will extend his compassion. He'll explain and clarify that in chapter 9, because actually in chapter 8, he's thinking that to himself. He hasn't told that to Noah yet. In chapter 9, he's going to tell it to Noah. That's what's going on here. God says, even though man is sinful, I will extend mercy to him, and I will show compassion to him. Instead of destroying the earth, I'll bless it with climates that are somewhat predictable. There's going to be, as he said in verse 22, while the earth remains sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, they'll never cease while the earth remains. And there's coming a day in which the earth, as we know it, will not remain. But that's why there's climates today. There was not that before the flood, sort of a tropical climate going on before the flood. Now, how do we apply this? Now God remembers you and me, even though, and here's the principle, even though we deserve judgment, We deserve hell. We have deserved it from the moment we were born. And we still deserve it. God continues to extend mercy. Not only physically, but spiritually. His grace is to us. You see, the fact that God has allowed us, and think about this, the fact that God has allowed us to live long enough to trust Jesus Christ is purely an expression of his compassion. A lot of times we think, well, why did this person die? Or why is this person didn't live a long life? Why did they die? And I don't know that we have all the answers to that, but I do know this. The more biblical question to ask is, why does anybody live? Now, why do they die? Nobody deserves to live. And certainly nobody deserves to have eternal life by receiving Jesus Christ. That's God's mercy to us. So instead of judgment, God has been so good to us. Do you realize that? Not only with salvation, but he's kept you alive. He's provided food for you. He's provided sustenance for you. This is what theologians call common grace. God does this for everybody. God provides the general care of people. That's common grace. And then for those of us who come to Christ, he brings you by his grace and mercy to Jesus Christ. If you are going through a tough time now, you need to be encouraged by the fact that God has not forgotten you. His mercies are new, Jeremiah tells us, every morning. The fact that you woke up today is a gift from God. We don't deserve it. And I think that's the point of these last few verses. Mankind doesn't deserve it. There hasn't been a flood like this, and there won't be a flood like this ever again. But do we deserve it? Absolutely not. We deserve to be flooded out every day of our lives. So, you know, if you're going through a difficult time, one thing that I would encourage you to do is stop thinking about all the difficulties Discipline your mind to start thanking God for all his blessings. When you have a meal this afternoon, don't just give a perfunctory prayer. Don't just give a routine prayer that you've been given for the last 15 years. 
Really thank God. Really think about it. You don't have to eat. God didn't have to give you food today. Think about that. Think about the clothes that you wear, the home that you're in, the cars you drive, the business you have, the family you have, the friends you have, the church you have. Start thanking God for all of these things. Those are his blessings. We're just sinners who deserve hell. That's all we are. So he extends his compassion to us by providing all that we need. And then the most marvelous compassion that he extends to us is he's provided salvation in Jesus Christ. What an incredible, incredible provision. Let's bow for prayer right now as we're quiet and silent before him. I don't want this time to pass without you having the opportunity to respond to God, to worship him. This is true worship. We're going to think about this as we're quiet before him. I just want to share a few thoughts. You may feel like God has forgotten you. You may be in a very difficult marriage. You may have a financial crisis going on. You may wonder what's happening at work. You may wonder about your career. Maybe at the crossroads of a major decision and God just feels to you like you've been forgotten. But you haven't. You haven't. You can't rely on your emotions. We rely on the written word of God. So even if it feels like he has forgotten you, you just know that's not true. And you know because his word tells us that he keeps his word to you and he has kept it. He has given you grace. He has used this to make you more like Christ. Thank him for that. He has given you direction. You've got to open the word. You've got to listen to wise counsel. You've got to spend time with him in order to get his desires in your heart. But he has given you direction, and he extends his compassion to you. Every day is an opportunity to see God's mercy. I wonder if you think that you deserve so much, and you get annoyed when things don't go your way, but we don't deserve anything. Everything is purely of his grace. Would you thank him for that, and would you begin to think differently? And the greatest expression of his compassion is that he's provided salvation in Jesus Christ. I would pray for you today and urge you if you've never accepted Christ, and by accepting Christ I mean you've never repented of your sins, you've never put your faith and confidence in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. I urge you to do that today. Don't let another day go by. If you want to speak to somebody, one of our leaders will be up at the front of this church, right by the communion table, the podium here, the platform, After the service, you tell them that you need to speak to them and they'll be here to help you. Father, we say with the patriarch, Job, though you slay us, yet will we trust you. Lord, I recognize that there are certain things that we can't possibly relate to Noah's life. But in principle, we can understand what it feels like to be forgotten, what it feels like when we don't hear you, what it feels like as we're scared and going through a real trial. And so in that way, we can relate. And I pray for each one of us, Lord, that we'll take these truths. I pray the Holy Spirit to apply them to our lives. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to start thanking you for all of your blessings and not to focus on the difficulties. I pray that you'll help us to think differently because that's where the victory is, to think as you would have us to think. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you keep your word to us. I thank you that you give direction. I pray for each one, Lord, each one of us, that we'll take the direction you've given and that we'll not stay confused and claim that we lack direction when you told us how to have direction. And I pray, Lord, that you help us to recognize each day 
how really merciful and loving you are. I thank you that there hasn't been a flood like there was in Noah's day, even though we're still sinful. And I thank you that you have kept us alive. Lord, for me, you sustained me for 18 years of my life so I could come to know Christ. And for each of us, Lord, some of us you've put in Christian homes where we heard the gospel early. Others, it's been later in life. But I thank you because we didn't deserve to live a moment after being born. And I pray that you'll help us to really receive that so that we can really appreciate your compassion. And I ask you to draw to yourself those who need to repent, need to turn, Lord, forsake their sin, and come to Jesus Christ, turn to you for genuine salvation. I would pray that the Spirit of God would do a work in those who need you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Toward the end of today's program, Pastor Steve said something that was very encouraging to me. Allow me to repeat what he said taken from Genesis chapter 9, verse 22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night, God is basically saying that even though humanity is sinful, God will extend mercy to us and will show compassion. Instead of destroying the earth, God said he will bless it with climates that are somewhat predictable. That is a blessing from God. Now there's more to come on our next verse-by-verse program with Steve Kreloff, who is the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. So please, if you can, join us on the next program. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.